0: Clap. Did you clap? I actually said clap. Why did you do it so far after the time it was supposed to be? No, I did it right on it. It was perfect.
1: <laughs> you did not.
0: I sure no. did. I promise you. What I'm hearing do on another- the phone, it, I did it exactly with you.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. So let's say, it, let's say it together. Ready? Okay.
0: One, three, two, two one, clap.
1: Oh wow, there's a long delay on this, I guess.
0: Huh. Alright,
1: here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this out from the headphones, and we're going to do it together. Ready? Three, two, one, clap. One more time. Three, two, one, clap. Clap. Alright. I think that's fine. Whatever, we'll figure it out. Okay. Alright, can you... Can you still hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Alright, we should probably just fire it up then. Um, We can edit this stuff all together later. Totally. But, uh, so this is episode one of the podcast. Ivan, how's everything going for you?
0: Everything is great, Aaron.
1: How are you doing? Doing fine. Uh, Freezing rain here in Rochester this morning, but uh, at least it's not snowing, so that's good.
0: Well, that's great. The weather is nice here in Austin. yeah Yeah. did you walk to the coffee shop today um i drove but yesterday i did walk
1: nice yeah um well i wore a vest today so at least it wasn't a total loss
0: (laughs) that's great that's awesome man you always look fantastic when you're teaching or performing aaron
1: Oh well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I try to. I, I try so. to make that an uh, an important part of my life. I think
0: you should, and I think most people should who are playing concerts in front of people.
1: Yeah, we can get into that a little bit later, maybe. Yeah, sure. So uh, we should start. I guess it's for our first official podcast. We we think we're just going to talk about a little bit about ourselves, so people can get to know kind of who we are for people who don't because obviously we'll have hundreds of millions of fans after a while so <laughs> people want to know like who we are and what we do and why we have a podcast so um i guess we can start out by just talking about the fact like for me i uh, am a teacher i teach at a high school high school band at a place called greece olympia which is in rochester new york um it's my first year at this job, but I've been a teacher for 10 years now, which feels ridiculous to say, um, but is true. And uh, I also am, of course, a performer, and I like to think I'm a composer, too, at times. Most of my performing in Rochester is just like freelance stuff, Um, but I do have my own band called Normal People, uh, and I also do my solo drum set project uh, as much as I can which uh well I'm sure we'll get into that at some point on the podcast too but that's been a big thing for me in the last year or so is just being able to play solo concerts
0: and you're also um, a, a father now right
1: and I'm also a dad Yep, yeah, I got a amazing daughter named Keely who at the time of this recording is 15 uh months old wow and that's that's been really it's been really a different kind of part of my life uh that's why the performer and composer part has really, uh, fallen off in the last year or so, cause there's not really a lot of time to do that stuff as much with, uh, that happening in, in life too. So, um, which might be another cool topic for a show sometime. Yeah. Uh, like what's, what's your life like having, having this kid? So sure. it's pretty cool though. I actually, it's been really amazing. So I can't complain. Uh, so I would say, like, if we're going to talk a little bit about our day, you know, the basics of the day. Um, my day starts really early, which I think is uh, probably the first big difference that you and I might have. <laughs> um, I leave my house at seven and drive Keely to my my, mo- my, mother, my mother and drive back to school. Uh, round trip, that's about an hour. Um, and then I have a jazz ensemble and I have two kind of like concert band, uh, band, band kind of groups that I teach during the day. And then a bunch of lessons to students. Um, And then there's always like tons of paperwork and other teacher type duties to take care of. Doing study hall, which I mostly forget every week to go to, but it's okay. Um, And then once school ends, you know, I think the the big part of, of my performing thing that I'm dealing with right now is just like we're prepping for a concert on March 2nd. Uh, where normal people is going to play and I'm going to play some solo stuff. So just like organizing rehearsals, um, you know, making sure everybody has what they need and knows where to go and all that stuff. Um, That's what I've been dealing with mostly lately. Um, And we're trying to put together our main PA thing coming up for our day of percussion that we always do in Pennsylvania. So starting to think about that. And... uh, you know, also composing is, has always been something I've been fond of, and uh, just had to usually do it in my spare time or when I have a break at school or something like that. Um, I've never been able to like just sit down for, you know, a week and just write something every day. I've, I've always wanted to do that, but it's never happened for me. Um, but I usually find you know a minute here, a minute there to start to put stuff together, and uh, so far been happy with the way that's worked out so the stuff i've been working on most recently have been these pieces for vibraphone and tape that uh aaron butler's been working on and also this guy from buffalo named john Smigelski, um where there's uh like some prompts to fill in with your voice and then uh a vibraphone part that goes with it where you play that live and then play back your own recording that you made talking about the first one talks about um, a friend that you had once that you're kind of out of touch with now. And then the second piece that I just finished and sent off to those guys talks about um, if you had taken a different path in life, what your life might be like. So that's been my most recent uh, output, I suppose.
0: And I think for the people listening aaron butler has um, a really good recording of one of those pieces online somewhere is that right yeah i
1: think um i know it's on my website if you do com slash compositions um i've got a link to whatever he posted that on i think like maybe his tumblr or something like that um but yeah he recorded the first one uh called losing touch Uh, Like about a year ago. I actually wrote that one in the hospital when we were there with Keely after she had been born.
2: Than I felt flying off the hood of that car. Stevens in Houston now, and I'm living in Athens, Ohio. I miss my friends.
1: fun. And he recorded that one, and I think his his plan is to do this next one over his spring break, which must be coming up sometime soon, so hopefully there will be a recording of that soon as well.
0: And if you're listening to this, you should know that Aaron Butler is worth checking out in so many different ways. Oh yeah, He's a great percussionist, a great thinker, loves new music, loves playing new music, Um, and I think he's a guy that's great to follow just to kind of keep up with what's happening and what's new in the percussion world and he's a great um thinker and idea guy too he has his very own strong opinions which are always awesome um and i just think he's a great great follow and a great friend for us to kind of just keep in track with
1: yeah i think that that whole vibraphone and tape project for me started with his kind of uh informal call for scores i guess Um, And I know you did one, too. We talked about um, a little bit the other day how we both thought that was such a great idea that he was just looking for pieces that were short, right? And that he could record um, kind
0: of in one shot. Yeah, I think he was having winter break at school or something, and he said, hey, I have three weeks. I have time to record a bunch of new music. So I think a bunch of people wrote him some pieces, um, Mm -hmm. and he recorded them, which is awesome. And, And, like, my piece... Um, has like bass guitar and uh, all sorts of different uh kind of instruments and it's pretty difficult and um i i feel like he recorded it in like a week or something like all of a sudden he emailed me back and he was like here's your piece (laughs) and it's awesome right
1: amazingly fast and and they were super well done too i mean i think that from a composer's perspective that's the kind of person that you love to be able to work with just they'll record your piece they'll make a a good version of it and they're willing to try kind of anything and he had pretty much no restrictions on that call for scores right just like whatever you wanted to write
0: exactly i don't i don't think i even told him that i was going to write for bass guitar i just did it and then he found a bass and made it happen i'm not even sure if he plays bass but he did for that so that was pretty cool now he does So uh, I told
1: a little bit about what my kind of life is like. Why don't we talk about what your life is like now? You live in Austin. Yeah,
0: I live in Austin. Me and my wife have been here for maybe a year and a half. And she was born here in Austin. And I'm from Victoria, Texas, which is a town kind of close by. So after living in Rochester for 10 or 12 years, we decided to move back home to Texas and my day is always different. So I usually wake up around 8 or 8.30 and I'll go make coffee and have a breakfast taco. And now pause
1: that because, you know, like, there's, a better way, there's a better way to explain when you wake up, Ivan. What is that?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I always sleep, um, no matter what, I always try to sleep seven or eight hours a day. Um, and I will set my alarm when I go to bed. For seven or eight hours depending on whatever time that is. Although Aaron I think you're referring to the one time that I told you that I wake up when my body tells me to. <laughs> when my body tells me to. And <laughs> That's I think not necessarily that, true. I, I do stick to a schedule but there have been days where I come home from tour with my band mm-hmm. and I just I don't set an alarm and I just sleep until I you know, until I just. I, need I to think sleep. you should.
1: I think you should be proud of that, man. I think a lot of people probably wish that that was possible. So <laughs> don't 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 try to back down from
0: that. No, I appreciate that, man. So um, so I wake up, you know, around eight or so. I, I have coffee. I I go eat, and then um, I uh, do a lot of like busy work. There's always a ton of emails that I have to do. Um. In addition to writing music, I also play in a band called Break of Reality. So there's always logistical things with a number of different recording projects or performances where we're traveling that we need to kind of get a hold of. Um, And then I get emails from people, you know, like I'm just looking through my email right now uh, from people playing my music from different parts of the country or the world. And they have questions about it or they want to let me know about a performance or they're asking, how can I go about recording your music? How can I get a license for you know, marching, percussion show? Um, mm-hmm. So there's always new things that are popping up that I have to take care of. So it's not like I'm just um, you know, waking up and then writing music all day. Like There's always some logistical stuff that I have to do. And sometimes that stuff takes a lot of time. Um, and that's okay, it's, it's fine. It's part of uh, you know, being a self-employed musician. Um, there's always many logistical things to handle. Um, but it's fun too, because you know, not only am I doing work, but I'm communicating with people that are playing my music, having some dialogue with them. Um, and that's part of the whole uh, experience too, I think, of writing music, is connecting with the performers playing your music um, sometimes I'm emailing scores out when people buy pieces from me um, I'm you know, handling emails about new commissions I'm requesting um, like I have a printer uh, a, an engraver who lives in Long Island and sometimes I send her orders from places like Steve Weiss or Lone Star mm-hmm. so there's always a lot of those logistics but once I'm done with that stuff I'll usually do that in the morning and kind of get it over with Um, Then I get to do some creative stuff. Every day I try to write music. Uh, Sometimes that's part of a project that I'm working on. Like if I'm working on a commission, that's probably what I'm going to be doing. Like I recently finished a snare drum and tape piece uh, commissioned by Corey Friend, um, who is a student at uh, University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Um, So I was working on that the past few weeks. Um, is that where Eric Willy is? That is where, where Eric Willie teaches, okay. yes. Um, and Eric's been another person who's been a great supporter of my music. Yeah. So, um, so sometimes I'm working on a, on a project that's very substantial like that. Um, and other times when maybe there's not a commission in line, um, then I might be able to work on my own particular project, something that I just really want to do. So um so it always changes um like for example yesterday I spent a lot of the day arranging um say my name by Destiny's yes. Child for my band Break of Reality because we want to record that song down the road So after I did all my logistical email stuff and then I practiced marimba because I have a gig coming up pretty soon and playing some vinyal I spent some of the day arranging um so yeah it's always different I guess man there's not like a set schedule and and I'm okay with that I really like that I like you know diving into new projects and being flexible and saying like oh I don't really f-, you know maybe I don't feel like writing now but maybe there's something else that I could do maybe I'll go practice or maybe I'll go um, do other stuff like maybe I'll just go on my website and figure out how I can make it better um, Yeah,
1: but you do have do you do kind of keep like uh, the email kind of businessy type stuff in the mornings. And then do you have like a time of day that you write the best or you get, seem to be most productive no, or is it I depend? Th- I
0: think it always changes, Aaron. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and it's like, oh man, I have this cool idea and I need to go just write it down and, and get to work on it. And then maybe I'll save some of the logistical stuff for later. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it it varies for me. Like I try to have a set schedule, but sometimes like I get so excited about something that sure. I just need to do it right then. Um, and I you know, I feel fortunate that I can do that. I, you know, I I feel like everybody's different in terms of how they write and the situation that they're in. But um, but yeah, that's kind of how how it works. And I always try to write every day. Um, even if, if it's, you know, just for a little bit and I don't have a ton of time, I always try to sit down and just, even if it's just improvising or, um, working on a simple theme or whatever the case is, I always try to do just a little bit.
1: I've heard that from a lot of, um, composers and also just other kinds of artists. Like I know Dave Ravello, who's a great, uh, modern jazz composer here in Rochester, He talks a lot about the uh, his quote that I love is so funny. He said, "If you wait for inspiration to strike, you could be waiting forever." (laughs) You know, and it's like it sounds like the darkest quote, but actually, I think what he's saying is, if you don't try to write and actually be okay with making some mistakes and kind of finding your way, uh, you might not end up with uh, what you could end up with in the end. And and so, he's a big advocate for that sort of like always trying something, whether you think you're going to like it or not. And I remember he recommended uh, a book once, too, called uh, Bird by Bird. Have you ever heard of this? No. Annie Lamott. Um, She's a great author, and her deal is um, she writes what she calls morning pages. So, like, every morning she wakes up and writes, I don't remember what it is, maybe, like, three pages, just about whatever she wants. And by the time she gets done with those pages, um, she's always found something interesting in what she wrote that she thinks she can go off of and and make into a project. So, you know, that concept I don't think is a a bad idea, that you always try to get something down if you can.
0: Yeah, Um, I think that's true. And I I think, you know, this is my job. (laughs) This is how, you know, I make income, and this is how I support my family. So I need to treat it pretty seriously, and I need to um, be fully kind of immersed in it and not mm-hmm. not take it for granted and you know I, I um
1: do you ever find it do you ever find it hard to start like if there's a really good episode of morion or something do you ever <laughs> have a hard time resisting the urge to just watch to see who the father is or <laughs> are you usually inspired <laughs> honestly, to honestly man
0: work? i i don't think i turn on the tv until like 8 p.m at night um
1: Time for Spurs, right?
0: Yeah, when the Spurs come on or me and Mandy have a show that we're watching. Um, But I don't get distracted with stuff. Um, I feel like there's always something to be doing, whether it's music related or whether it's just career stuff. Like, for example, Aaron, like sometimes I get in a place where I've written music and I practiced and maybe there wasn't a ton of email stuff to do and I have times to do stuff. So yeah. I'll, I'll go through a little to-do list and just say, what can I do today? And like the other day, I had that. I had like an hour and a half of just time that I could have done whatever I wanted. So I went on YouTube and I started researching um, performances of my music so that I could um, start to send requests to get uh, concert programs so that I could submit okay. to ASCAP. Um,
1: oh, nice. Yeah.
0: So I feel like there's always, there's always things to do. Um, I know when I tell people that I compose music, they always think that I just sit around all day and write music, but it really is like, you know, a a business too, in terms of taking care of all of these different components of this job. It's not just one thing.
1: Well, and I was reading um, this article, I don't know if you saw this or not yet, and we, we didn't have a chance to talk about it before, but... Um, that composer Georg Frederick Haas. Have you seen this article in the New York Times about
0: this guy? I saw that somebody posted it online. I just haven't yeah, read so it. Yeah, so like,
1: so like, well, the, the basic idea. Uh, I know that they did a bunch of his music just recently at Eastman, and uh, I think there's a concert in New York of a lot of some of his stuff coming up. And the article is about how he's in like this really. Um, strict bdsm relationship with his wife where he is like the dominant and she's the submissive and it's in the new york i think times um where it like basically details like a lot about what their relationship is like and how it affects his music and i thought it was just like really interesting that um you know somebody was as open as he was to just put that out into the world the point though is that in the article it mentions that for him a good day is a day where he composes 14 to 15 hours out of his day and so i think that um you might be sort of like part of this new breed of composers that are looking at it from like there's all these different aspects of it to take care of not just like writing a great piece and then someday someone will play it and I think
0: that's probably <laughs> yeah.
1: probably to your advantage
0: I, I agree with that I agree with what you're saying Aaron I think there's a lot of us who are, are kind of doing things are all on our own now so self-publishing uh, you know marketing our music mm-hmm. online making videos like we're kind of just doing all of that stuff and honestly I don't I don't think I could write music for that long i mean that seems crazy <laughs> in a, in right. a day anyway, right? i just thought
1: it was that just really stood out i mean of in this article where almost every sentence was completely astonishing that <laughs> stuck with me like wow 15 hours a day of of anything seems really amazing and maybe that's why he's one of the best yeah uh most I'm sure, known I'm sure composers right. on, on, in the world but i mean yeah it's a great article though if you're interested in. Anything uh, of the things that we just mentioned. Yeah, so I'll check it out. Check that hey, out. Hey, Aaron, speaking um, of uh,
0: the music world, really quick, yeah. um, I saw on Facebook that John H. Beck from Eastman School of Music, my former teacher, mm. um, right, is getting an honorary doctorate from Rowan. Is that right? Rowan University, Rowan College? Yeah, yeah. I think Rowan University yeah. sounds right. To I me. think Dean Witten teaches out there. Um, right and that's pretty awesome i love mr back that's fantastic yeah i'm so excited absolutely i mean
1: we you know we should say probably didn't really say that we both went to eastman and we met at eastman and um went there for both undergrad and master's degrees right mm-hmm. and so ivan inst- you studied with mr back i kind of like worked along with you guys that were studying i studied with rich thompson because uh, I was a drum set major when I was there, and you were on the classical side of things, uh, so I got to do a little bit with Mr. Beck, uh, but uh, certainly didn't study with him as closely as you did. But uh, yeah, I and mean, I think that's amazing that a place like that is willing to recognize how
0: how great of an impact he had on on our field and
1: give him the proper
0: due. Yeah, I totally agree, Mr. Beck. For those of you guys listening or girls listening. Who don't know uh, John Beck is one of the most like prolific percussion educators he's taught so many different kinds of percussionists from Gordon Stout to Michael Burritt to Lee Stevens to Chris Lamb he used to teach Steve, Steve Gadd. Gadd yeah um, I mean there's just a number of people all the Nexus percussion ensemble people studied with Mr. Beck as well um, and then a newer generation of people as well, um, like Doug Perkins and um, Lee John Parks. John Parks, Lee Vincent. Um, I studied with Dean Witten. Yeah. Dean Witten. That's Dean how Whitten. this came about. I mean, around, the, the list sure. goes on and on and on. Um, and I know if it wasn't for Mister Beck, I wouldn't probably be writing music for a career, because he really uh, encouraged me to pursue my composing interests. And he didn't really have to do that. I showed up to a lesson one day and I said, Mr. Beck, I, I didn't really practice the timpani thing that you gave me, but I wrote this thing and I was really scared that he would just kind of say, well, you need to do what I'm telling you to do. But he was so excited that I, I was showing passion in something. So he asked me to show him some of the composing that I had been doing. And then he would help me. He would, because he's a composer himself. So he would kind of show me the score and, and suggest things in the score to do. He would record me playing, and then we would go back and listen and see if what was happening on the page is really what was happening when I was playing the piece. Um, so anyway, he just he means a lot to me, and I know he means a lot to you too, Aaron. So I, I was Absolutely. really excited to see that.
1: Hey, man, can you think of a favorite uh, or two John Beck piece that you've played?
0: Um, yeah, I've played a number of Mr. Beck's pieces. There's one... Yeah, me too. I remember. Go uh, ahead. There's one that I played, and I'm really going to have to go back and look up the name of it. Um, it's a really cool piece, and I'll talk about it while I look for the name. Um, it's right. for timpani and prepared uh, piano. So um, what you do is you open up the... Um, the cover of the piano completely behind you behind right you, i've played yes. this and yes. you actually play timpani and and it creates these weird uh, ringing effects with the piano it kind of resonates and then you also because
1: you hold the you hold the pedal down you hold right the, with like exactly. a brick or something you hold the pedal down yeah, yeah yeah and
0: then you also like reach kind of behind you and play piano at certain points um and then you yeah. play the timpani as well so it really creates these interesting colors I actually played it on my um, performer certificate jury at Eastman oh, really? a long, long time ago. Yeah, let me find... Let
1: me... Is that three three episodes for
0: Tiffany? Yeah, Is that, that sounds right. That's it. I think it was... Right. I, I, I
1: played that... I tried to play that in high school, for cool. sure. I remember... Um, I think more of Mr. Beck's... Because when I got to college, I didn't play a lot of stuff like that. Um, but I know in high school, I played, like, Colonial Capers. I mean, it's like the most classic snare drum solo, I think, uh, ever, at least in these parts. And uh, I remember the sonata for timpani. Um, My story with Mr. Beck is pretty funny. Like, my parents, my dad went to Eastman in the 70s, and so my mom uh, went to Nazareth College as a percussion major and studied with Ruth Kahn. And so JB was, like, a pretty important figure to her. Like, she always looked up to him, and I think at that She had some chances to study with them or hang out at least a little bit. And so I always knew about who John Beck was when I was a kid. So when I came to Eastman, I thought I was going to audition on drum set, you know, because I was applying to be a drum set major. But I didn't know, like for whatever reason, I didn't get the message that I also had to play for Mr. Beck to do a music ed degree. So I like went into this audition and I was like, I don't have anything to play for you and I don't have any, like, mallets. Or, and he, like, I was, I couldn't have been really more embarrassed. And what a terrible way to start my time at Eastman before it had even <laughs> officially started. And so I remember, like, somebody had, like, a really amateur stick bag with, like, a pair of marimba mallets and, like, a pair of timpani mallets. And um, I'll never forget, man. He made me feel so welcome. And, I you know, who am I? I'm just this, like, you know, kid from Buffalo or whatever I walked in the room and he said, oh, it's okay, you know, like, what can you play for me? And I said, I don't know, I like playing from Portraits and Rhythm. He goes, great, how about number one? And he pulls Portraits and Rhythm out. (laughs) So (laughs) I played him number one on snare drum. Fine, you know, I guess it was okay. And then I had been doing this uh, Mayazumi concerto for, concertino for xylophone. So he said, "Yeah, sure. I know that." I, I stupidly I was like, "Have you ever heard of that?" He's, you know, here's John Beck Like knows every piece on yeah. planet Earth and then some. So he's like, "Yeah, yeah. I think I remember that." So I played a little bit of that, and then uh, he said, "What about for timpani?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I know this piece called Sonata for Timpani by John Beck. <laughs> And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I think I know that one, too. You know, so here it was like, I mean, I can't believe that he even let me stay in the room that long. And then at the end, you know, he's like, how about a little bit of drum set? Now, you know, finally, I had a moment where I knew I could do it. But he was so cool about everything. And all through my time there in undergrad, You know, I remember times where I tried to play with the percussion ensemble and, like, really, I just had no business doing it, man. My skills weren't where they needed to be, but he was supportive and he was cool about it. And I think that's probably why, you know, so many people got great experiences from him because he was just a a great guy on top of being a great teacher, a great player. Yeah,
0: I think you're totally right, Aaron. And he was very accepting of... Lots of different kinds of people and different musicians. And he really let everyone be themselves. You know, the people coming out of Eastman were all playing differently and all beautifully, but all had their own style. Um, It wasn't like every person was coming out of Eastman playing exactly the same way and sometimes i think that happens in some some places but some schools sure but i think he let everybody kind of find their own way which is pretty cool
1: yeah so another another interesting kind of segue there would be another really great eastman uh jb student alumni that i have a lot of respect for is john hollenbeck and i know john hollenbeck uh, first as a drummer and then later got to know his music as a composer and I've been lucky enough to work uh, some do some lessons and stuff with John and one of the things that I'd be interested to hear from you about when I some of the stuff I did with John was when he would talk about his writing he'd talk about how to start a piece or how he would get going and Um, For him, he said, you know, something he always tried to do is he started pieces in a lot of different ways. So sometimes he would start a piece at the drum set. Sometimes he would start a piece um, at the piano. Sometimes he would play starting on the computer, like on a Sibelius or Finale kind of thing. And he said that that was a big source of inspiration for him. Just that simple fact that he wasn't always starting it the same way. Um, So do you have like a favorite way to start a piece Or what's your process like When you're about to embark on a new project Like you said you just finished this snare drum piece So like what are you going to do now
0: Okay well um, I think it's always different And I think I do something similar To what John does Because I play piano and I play marimba And I play guitar and drums So I think he's right that you can definitely find inspiration starting on a number of different instruments. It's way different starting a piece on on a guitar than it is playing the marimba or on piano or with drum set. Mm -hmm. So I definitely do that a lot. Um, So I think each piece also, like there's always like a particular, uh, not always, but sometimes there's a particular person or concept in mind So, for example, with this last snare drum piece, um, it's called Spur. um, Mm -hmm. It's really in the language of um, De La Clouse, who passed away last year. And he wrote, you know, such wonderful music for percussion and particularly the 12 etudes for snare drum, I think, are some of my favorite things ever written Ever maybe I love them, I love wow. them so much, yeah, because they're very um, they 're not snare drum like they 're very musical and beautiful and simple in a way, um even though right. they're they're and I think that 's why they 're so difficult they 're very exposed <laughs> it, it exposes so much about a person 's playing, and yeah, so I had him in mind a lot when I was writing this piece, so it 's sort of like a like paying homage to him and I use a lot of similar like language that he would use when writing for snare drum there's even a couple little snare drum quotes throughout the piece from some of his pieces Um, and that was a lot of fun for me because his music is I think a lot different than my music but I wanted to try to find a way to kind of put the two together Um, and that was,
1: and then, and then you, and then you added the tape aspect, right? So then what is that more like, um, I haven't heard this new piece, but like more along the lines of when you wrote that heat stroke piece for me for drum set where the, the tape is like a modern sounding thing. Yeah,
0: I would say so. I say, I would say that the tape part is really like from my vantage point and the snare drum writing is uh, from his vantage point. And then as the piece develops, like, I think it kind of progresses and my language kind of takes over um, a lot of the piece. But I think um, towards the beginning and towards the end of the piece, there's this real, like, De La feel, I feel like, um, to the tune. Yeah. Um, And there's one part in the piece, and I'm not sure it's going to stay in the score, but I kind of like it, where the performer quotes some De La Clouse, um, passages from the 12 etudes, mm-hmm. and um, the performer performs them with their eyes closed. Um, and that happens for about a minute. And the very last note of the song is my favorite ending of any De La Clouse etude, and it's the ending of number one. I quote the very last measure. And on the very last note, the performer um, opens their eyes and I feel like, for me, it was just a meditative kind of quality. Yeah. I think to, to kind of just contemplate and think about what um, he's done for our percussion community, and I feel like that little extra element might um, show an audience how special those little
1: moments are. You know. Yeah, that's awesome, and I can't wait to so I can't wait to hear it, and that, that's going to get premiered at. Um, UN,
0: UNCG C- yeah. is Corey Friend is <laughs> that's going to happen there yes. um, and he's actually I think he's recording a number of different pieces tomorrow and, and he's going to record oh, okay. this one as well which is really exciting so we might have a recording out sooner than sooner than I was oh, expecting great.
1: that's great you know that's when you talked about that how you, you use the De La Clouse stuff as sort of a inspiration, but then through your lens. I, I think that when I write music, that's really a, a technique I use a ton, um, especially when I write stuff for like my, uh, I guess you would call them jazz type groups, but they're, I mean, they're it's really modern kind of avant-garde stuff. But, um, you know, when you, when we have an idea of, so, like you say, this reminds me of De La Cluse or this reminds me of hank mobley or whatever you know insert whatever you're talking about there it's amazing to think about how like that might not remind somebody else of de la Clouse, but it doesn't matter because it got you to where you wanted to be in terms of your your piece that you wrote i think that that's really fun for me like to see whether anybody i mean obviously you made this one like dedicated to de la Clouse, but if you didn't like how many people would have caught yeah. that or how many people would have just thought like, wow, Trevino is a genius. This is so cool. This feels great on snare drum. You know? <laughs> That's something I think about a lot when I'm writing, I'll say like, okay, I want this to remind me of, um, you know, uh, I wrote this piece called visit and it was about a song cycle. So it, it had kind of a story that went through the 12 tunes, uh, about a relationship that I was in a long time ago. And I was thinking, like, okay, this particular piece really reminds me of this part of Boston where we had uh, a time. Or this piece really reminds me of riding the subway. Um, but then, you know, maybe the next person that hears it doesn't hear that at all. They hear something right. different. Doesn't doesn't matter because it, it made a good piece for me. It helped me find yeah. my starting point. I,
0: I I think think yeah, tol- I think you're totally cool. right, Aaron. And sometimes it's different, right? Like, I'm sure you probably had moments where your composition is created just through a musical concept, you know, with, with no other. Yeah. This is a line. cool
1: sounding idea right. or sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think when I do these, uh, when I've been doing these vibraphone things, it's just, I'll, I'll try, I think both times, uh, it's been different because even though they're the same kind of pieces, like one time, like I said, I was in a hospital room writing it. And the second time I was here at school and I was able to actually be on an instrument. And I think the two times uh, really were different in in the way that I started the piece, but still they were the same kind of series of piece. So definitely uh, different ways can get us to different places. And, and, you know, one more thought on this tangent here. Uh, I've heard you several times do like your little composition talk, you know, where you've introduce people who maybe haven't written anything and we might have some people listening who haven't written anything but want to. And I love your idea about how it can start with just like one note and then two notes. And then, I mean, that's what it is. Right. But I think that's such a cool idea. Maybe you can do like the reader's digest version of that. Um, yeah, I would love to deal. So
0: I think a piece can be born from, from anything. And I think a lot of times people think that composing has to be this super intellectual, you know, Beethoven kind of concept where maybe it can be something that um, grows from knowing very little about it. So I always recommend that people start with maybe one note or just one simple thematic idea and then maybe adding one thing to that, whether it's an extra note or maybe an extra rhythm. Um, maybe you you explore range or contrast to develop your simple theme Um, but I know for me even today I write thematically a lot I come up with a riff or a theme and then I figure out thoughtful ways to expand it Um, and I think that's a good exercise for all musicians And I I always talk about this, and Aaron, you've heard this before, too, from Chris Azera at Eastman, who teaches music education. Mm. He always says, you know, if music is a language, then musicians should be able to do more than just read their language. We should be able to speak it, you know, like improvise it. Um, We should be able to write it. Um, We should be able to talk about it and analyze it. And I think that's so true I feel like the classical music bubble always, uh, you know, gets stuck in just performing, but I think there is something to be said for somebody who can not only perform, but who can improvise and compose and have a multifaceted career. Because I think that makes you more interesting. Like I think more people would probably be more interested in, in, um, you know, learning about your career or going to a concert or attending a show, if they know like, hey, not only is this guy going to play some Bach, but he's also going to play some original music and improvise, I think it adds another layer to people's musicianship. Uh, and I'm not saying everybody's going to be a prolific composer by no means, but um, I think it's something that everyone should explore. And, and I think starting thematically is a great way to you know to begin
1: yeah and it also might be fair to say that when you first started writing stuff you probably didn't say like i'm setting out to become a prolific composer either right but you are
0: well i i don't know if i would say that <laughs> in terms of me being a prolific composer no, but I, it's okay because i i can say <laughs> okay. it for you well thank you aaron that's very nice no you're totally yeah. correct um i was not thinking that way at all i just um it made me feel nice. It made me feel happy to, yeah. to, to do that, to create stuff.
1: Um, Another form of expressing yeah, yourself. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, I think that form is really special to me. And it's nice. Honestly, it's really nice when people play your music. Like, <clears throat> you know, I, my, I'm fortunate my music gets programmed a lot. But even if it didn't, I still think writing music would make me just as happy, you know? Um, it's just a it's just a yeah. part of expressing myself.
1: Well, And I think a lot of people that might want to get into that stuff, but but don't are afraid that like, oh, maybe I'm not going to be good or I'm going to suck at my first piece is going to be terrible. And like I think anything that, like anything that any of us do, yeah, a lot of times the first try isn't the best try. Um, but after some practice and doing it a bunch, you, you have a definitely a chance to develop Th- that exactly skill. That's so. exactly right,
0: Aaron. Just like anything else, man, like you know. drum set, marimba playing. The first time I played marimba, I did not sound great, you know. But I spent more time doing it, <laughs> yeah. and it's gotten better.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's great, man. I think this is uh, probably a good place to wrap up for our first uh, first cast. Okay, um, Aaron. Next time, really, co- you know, in a future really time. Really quick,
0: though, Aaron. Sorry. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know we want to try to do a really quick segment every week, like what bo- what oh, bothered yeah, us this do. week, and then what made us happy this week. Do you want to tackle either oh, one of man. those, or do you have time for that? Do I? I mean, can
1: I? My I, I think that the pacic applications should be a separate, <laughs> entire episode. <Okay. laughs> uh, I, but no, I can I can I, yeah well, something that made me lose my mind this week. Um, is that I'm on the uh, drum set committee of Percussive Arts Society, and um, one of our, like, really kind of our only job on that committee seems to be that we evaluate the applications for people who are applying to give workshops at PASIC at the international for Conference. drum set, right? And for drum set, yes. And so, the, like, when I joined the committee, my whole reasoning behind it was that drum set sometimes. It feels like the dumb friend, and that when you go to PASIC and there's all these brilliant academic uh, presentations and people talking about, you know exactly what triangle beaters to use to play on Wagner and like things that are so detailed and so well thought out, and then the drum set ones are like guys, you know like just shredding licks and then being like I don't really know what I'm doing there, but it's awesome, you know. And so I felt like I wanted to bring a more intellectual um, side to the drum set. Well, uh, that's why I'm frustrated probably because we looked at, I think, 37 applications and like some of them, it was unbelievable how how just like, I don't even want to say they were bad, but like some people just put zero detail into their application. Like uh, one of the ones that, that was shocking, uh, someone just wrote the title and then the short description underneath that was same, but the title didn't really provide me any information. And then there was no other information. So essentially they applied with a title of a clinic and, like, how can I look at, you know, I, I. so my comment was, I have no idea what this is at all. Like, I just didn't know what that was supposed to be. You know, or um, one where somebody wrote, like, uh, you know, it just linked to a website about like gongs and uh it didn't have it didn't like have anything to do with the presentation at all um and and like you started to hint at this at the beginning of the podcast but like the way that you physically appear sometimes has an effect on the way people perceive you and some of the photos like you know i did it late at night and i was afraid i was going to have nightmares about these people like it's not that they were you know bad looking people but the the photo you know like I don't want to be staring deep into your eyes when I'm evaluating your drum set application you know or like maybe you should have a photo that isn't of you at the beach when you apply (laughs) for something like this like uh, you know put on a shirt that has some buttons and a collar and let's do this thing you know the right way it's it's amazing. And I can't really talk because I've applied before and not gotten chosen. So I'm nobody. But I think that maybe the moral of the story here could be like if you're doing something professional that we should maybe treat it as such and not just be like a random, you know, I don't know, like a ad on OK Cupid or something like there's a sure. difference. <laughs> um, so that I think made me very mad. But um, something that's made me very happy this week has been um, just getting a chance to um, hang out with my daughter at home. And um, just she's doing more and more cool stuff every day. She's getting older and. Now she can go into the bathtub and like she, you can say like wash your arms and then she knows where her <laughs> arms are and she can knows where her ears are and she can I can say give me a kiss and she can do it and that's like the cheesy dad answer
0: of what's made me no, happy. No, that's but, a great answer. Um, that's beautiful. That's
1: been it's been great. What about you? You got something for us um, on that?
0: I'll start with what makes me happy. Um, great. So I. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, recording stuff with my band, uh, Break of Reality. Our one of our goals this year is to do one new video release every um, every month, and we're trying to do um, we're trying to do this project to kind of bring light to some music that we feel like is important to us personally or maybe that people should know, especially younger people who maybe are only familiar with like whatever is on the radio now. And I don't know how you feel about this Aaron, but I kind of feel like even pop music as simple as it can be, I feel like 20 years ago and beyond there was it was better. way better. You know, and I feel like right now it's so dumbed down and so simple. Like there's not even variations within like phrases anymore. You know, it's just it's just almost like nursery rhyme esque. Um,
2: That's a good way to put it. So
0: we want to try to bring light to some songs that we feel like are important and that we really like. So we covered... um, A Weezer tune called Say It Ain't So Which I used to listen to a lot When I was younger And you know it's not The most complex song But there's a lot Going on in that tune It's a deep tune, the lyrics are really powerful Rivers the lead singer You know he He had a lot of issues growing up in terms of his health And then relationship With his parents and stepfather Um and musically the song is really challenging um but anyway we we put out a cover of that um and that made me really happy because i like that song um and i don't know it just brought back some memories like you were saying earlier sometimes music can just take you back to a place um and that definitely makes me think about some of my younger days um and and the response has been really great too so it's been cool Totally. So that made me happy. And then what makes you mad? Oh, man. That's a good question. Um, what made me mad? Well, you know, I know. Can I? Yeah, look, I have a really good one, actually. This makes me really, this makes I me mad. Um, you know, we, we'll put out a video like this or, you know, maybe I'll put out a percussion video. And I have a certain way that I play. Um when I get in front of an instrument and I start to perform, you know, I sort of, uh, I don't zone out, but I get into a zone, you know, and and right. I think you do too, Aaron, you know, and, and you and I both, I think Absolutely. when we play, we have many different facial expressions that we probably don't even realize we're doing, you know, but anyway... There's people mm-hmm. on the internet that will go online, maybe on on this video, or maybe even by somebody else. And I guess this is just about like internet trolls in general. But they just, you know, they'll they'll say some crazy stuff, and they you know they always have to be so negative. Oh, why does why does the Hispanic guy look like he's on drugs or
2: yeah, like all sorts of crazy
0: stuff. Oh,
2: I know, my gosh. and
0: I feel like. Um, I'm not going to change the way I play. I don't even know what I'm doing when I'm playing, and, you know, all the, the different facial expressions I have. But um, I will say that, you know, it. I mean, I, I shrug that stuff off, but it bothers me the most when I see it about other people. Like, my buddy Evan Chapman recently put out um, a new video of Teague playing, and Vic Firth put it out. And it's awesome. It's awesome. It's great. And if you go through the YouTube comments and it's like, oh, this song is so boring or it's too repetitive and blah, blah, blah. It's like the culture we live in where, you know, negativity is so rampant and so immediate. Like, I I, I bet you yeah. the people commenting on Evan's video didn't even watch the whole tune. They probably listened to like 10 seconds and then immediately they're there. You know, right. it's like. We have no... I don't know. I just feel like... Well,
1: and it's and it's anonymous, too, and that's what makes it worse. Like, we, we have that at school, like kids doing cyberbullying and stuff because you, you would never say something like that to your <laughs> right. face. Nobody would come up to you at a concert and be like, dude, you're Hispanic. <laughs> right. Are you on drugs? But since they can type it into their computer or phone and then never have to deal with it, it's way easier. I mean, that's that's, I think... The even more common thing, which is it, it's crazy, but that's kind of like I where know. we are right now. And, and I'm totally and for, I'm like, totally for You don't have to have to totally stand up for people for having
0: their own opinion about things. Um, you know, that's great, but I feel like it, it's gotten to a point yeah. where people are so negative, and that's one thing I really like about our like classical percussion community for the most part, everybody's super positive and. Um, supportive, you supportive, know yeah. um, And I think sometimes Like like this Vic Firth video Gets out to an audience That is beyond our classical Normal community, you know And that, I think that's when people yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. To, I think we're really lucky as a community And I don't think that the comments On Evan's video Represent really our percussion community i think it represents some of the stuff going on outside of actually it. that was
1: me, actually that was me that made that comment but, <laughs> uh, no i'm just kidding I wasn't all right well we'll 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 have to touch on some of this stuff more in the future too but this has been a good first episode my friend and uh to everybody out there listening uh we'll only get better at this so yeah in. thank
0: you so much for listening aaron it's great to talk with you man as always you too bro all right we'll catch up soon Yeah, sounds great hi to the fam okay all right
1: You too. Alright, internet, until next time, see you later.